Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast. I'm Brian McDonald with Dude Solutions. Joining me today is David Cornegi, our community director, also known as the mayor. David, welcome. Thank you. And joining us remotely is Alan Rathy of the Healthy Facility Institute. Alan, welcome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate being here. So today we're going to talk a little bit about why you should make a business case for healthy facilities. And Alan, your group, the uh, Healthy Facility Institute, does a lot of work in this area. Could you tell me a little bit about the HFI and, and the work you have? Absolutely. We're, we're really a, kind of a glorified focus on cleaning, cleaning, really. Uh, it's about cleaning the environment. And it was formed in 2011. Healthy Facilities Institute was formed in 2011. It was kind of a culmination of an effort to help the public understand healthy indoor spaces by removing contaminants or pollutants or cleaning things up. And I previously managed the Healthy House Institute and the Healthy Facilities Institute became the commercial expression of that mission. We're really about removing contaminants from the environment and making a business case for doing those kinds of things. Really simple stuff, uh, simple on the far side of complexity, I guess you'd say. No, I think that's great. I mean, you're, you know, you guys are all about making healthier spaces for, you know, people when they work and play and uh, have to go to facilities, whether it's a hospital or school or whatnot. And that's good for everyone. It's good for our kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the ways that facility managers can, can kind of be a part of this in creating a healthier environment? That's a great question. They're really the feet in the street. I mean, they, they are the people that are doing things right on the ground. And so we think the facility managers are just so, so important, vastly underrated as a profession because they're really stewards of the indoor environment. Uh, they're really practicing a form of health care. And again, we look at it in a very simple way by how can they remove stuff from the environment that shouldn't be there, whether it's in the air, in the water, ergonomically, from the standpoint of light, better lighting, what are the things that they can do? And, and then how do those things impact the health and then the fiscal health of the environment? And so we look at those things. It's, uh, it's kind of simple, but it's also kind of complicated at the same time. But we like to keep it as simple as we possibly can. And, and really the feet in the street, those people that are your audience, these are the key people to make all this happen. So the very most important people are in this uh, discussion are the ones listening in. So some of the things that we've, we've heard along the way is there's, there's these little things that people can do, these little small items that start making a huge impact, such as mats at the door, uh, how often those mats are cleaned, different types of filtration approaches, different types of cleaning approaches, different products, which of course every company is, is talking about how their product does A, B, and C. Uh, but many times what we found is really knowledge is where it begins. Where do you see yes. uh, many of the barriers and, and also many of the breakthroughs that people, when they understand, if we invest in learning, training, knowledge, experience, where do you see some of the benefits coming from a professionalism standpoint, as you were just mentioning, but also from things as a financial standpoint? Uh, what are some of the things that you, you've seen are the barriers and the breakthroughs? I love that, barriers and breakthroughs. Uh, the first barrier is just understanding the importance of air. Uh, as an, as an example, we inhale about 30 pounds of air a day, 30 pounds of air, versus ingesting uh, a few pounds of food and a few pounds of liquid. So air is the number one route of exposure to harmful contaminants. It's both particles and gases. And the EPA has helped us with three uh, top ways to improve the indoor air quality, and they are, in order, number one, 
control the sources, number two, ventilate, and number three, purify the air. Coming back to number one, controlling sources, is, it can be as simple as putting down an entry mat. If you have an adequate entry mat, entry matting at the door, you're removing a whole lot of heavy metal, a whole lot of pesticide residue, a whole lot of dust from leaded gasoline that used to be burned in the big cities. Uh, a whole lot of things that you don't want to have in the indoor environment. If you don't bring it in, you don't have to remove it later, and you're not exposing people to those contaminants. Another area to control the source is vacuum cleaners. Uh, one very good suggestion is look at your vacuum cleaners to see if they are blowing dust. How do you know? Uh, well, you can get a particle counter, and I strongly suggest that if you don't have one, that your facility maybe think about getting a particle counter and see if that so-called HEPA vacuum is really producing HEPA level filtration. In most cases, they are not. And so by checking that, you can see that a lot of the barrier, again, back to the barrier, is, is marketing information is not the same as truth. So sometimes people are sold a lot of these technologies uh, when, in fact, uh, there are some simpler things that they can do to begin intercepting uh, the dust before it gets into the building and then uh, using uh, different vacuum methodologies that are actually more proven to reduce the levels of dust in the air. And then the financial benefit coming to that question is that if you reduce the, the dust in the building, as just a for instance, uh, you don't have to remove it later through the manual labor of wiping down those surfaces to remove those films of dust. Also, that dust isn't getting into your electronics. It's not getting into your nose. It's not getting into uh, the machinery. Uh, so you can reduce dustings from, say, uh, every day to once a week. Uh, that's a huge, huge savings uh, in a major institution like a school or an office building. A lot of money on the table there. So by cleaning up the environment, removing dust, reducing the levels coming in from the street, controlling it by using a proper vacuum, a central vacuum if possible, better filtration on uh, portable vacuums, then you can really ameliorate that problem and save a lot of money and people are going to be breathing a whole lot easier. And this gets into one of the things that many people ask, especially if they're looking at new equipment or changing techniques, is the return on the investment and then the value of that investment. So things like the return on investment, you're making some very good points that says it's not just about keeping the air clean. Uh, yes, that is a part of it, but you, know, you have people that say, well, where are we going to go beyond that? But if you're saying that, well, not only is it going to provide better indoor air quality to reduce sickness, it's also going to be really a capital investment because we're extending the life cycle of floors, electronic equipment. Uh, the values that we're getting out of this is that we have, if I'm a, a school district, for example, the, it's less absenteeism. If I'm a healthcare uh, facility, you know, that's directly affecting the, the health of our patients that are, are visiting us. So those are some of the things from a value standpoint, but also I would think that there's also a sense of pride that many people would say is that this is a showcase facility, that look how clean it is, you know, look how, how well we're maintaining this. Any, any other thoughts on things such as ROI, BOI, things that are, we, we talk a lot about data, that's the objective, but there also has to be a matching subjective aspect to it as well. Absolutely good questions. You know, the subjective and the objective really merge uh, and where they where they meet is the sweet spot, right? So you want to have subjective uh, with some objective data. Here's some things that we, we know to be true. Uh, asthma and allergies are the number one chronic cause of absenteeism in schools. Uh, we know that asthmas and allergies, uh, asthma and allergies are very, very common in the workplace. And if you reduce the levels of dust indoors, and you do other things like reducing VOCs and that sort of thing, 
you're going to reduce the incidence of asthma and allergy. Now, speaking to your earlier point, which was very, very good, when you improve that metric of reducing asthma and allergies, you are affecting absenteeism. And as we know, schools are funded based on attendance. So if you can reduce the level of allergy and you get a 1% increase in attendance, which is not unheard of, uh, that could potentially net the school millions of dollars in, in funding. So there's, there's a big benefit there. there. There's just so much more than just the fact that you're making people healthier. That should be the main reason, right? But you're not exposing them to things that are going to affect them. In, in elderly communities, as another example, the, uh, the rates of dementia can be better managed or the symptoms of dementia can be better managed if you reduce things that cause their dementia to be aggravated. And indoor air is one, is one very strong factor. Uh, making sure the environments are quiet, making sure the lighting is good, uh, adequate access to daylighting, allowing those residents uh, in, in these assisted living facilities to get outside more, experiencing that natural light. All these things are shown to be beneficial and it translates back into the bottom line. In the case of assisted living, you're going to have a higher rate of uh, admissions, a cleaner, healthier environment, to your point earlier about image, uh, and you're going to have healthier residents and uh, the, the visitors who come to check out the facility are going to be impressed, so admissions should go up. So you can make it a selling point, essentially. Yeah, I would imagine carbon dioxide has a, has a major effect on that as well, because you're, you're talking about especially a learning environment, uh, but also a working environment. You have people that are maintaining those facilities, but you also have people that are working in those facilities. So you, you have people that are making decisions, basically, you know, every day, and you don't want anything to impair them. You want them to, to have a place where they can see well, breathe well. You know, feel out they're comfortable. So I, I know there's been some things you and I have talked about in the past on the impact of carbon dioxide. Yeah. I want to say it was an uh, impact of carbon dioxide on decision making. Absolutely. That's a phenomenal point. Thank you so much for remembering to bring that up. You know, the, the thing with carbon dioxide, we used to just think it was a good surrogate for other uh, airborne pollutants in the environment. So they would use carbon dioxide. If there was a lot of it in the air, uh, they would say, well, we need more ventilation. Yeah, it's kind of common sense, right? So, but now the as the data is coming out more and more, the ASHRAE standard, which is 62.1, it stipulates a certain CFM per person. But we want to look at those CFM levels as minimums. They want to look at them as the floor, not the ceiling, because the evidence that's available now shows us that the lower the levels of carbon dioxide, the better the cognitive processing that goes on for the people in the building. So, for example, one recent cognitive study found on average when there was a 400 parts per million increase in CO2, you had a 21% decrease in cognitive scores. That's phenomenal. Also, the Lawrence Berkeley Lab, well-established, well-respected group, found that moderately high indoor concentrations of carbon dioxide can significantly impair people's decision-making performance with particular implications for schools and other spaces with high occupant density. That's a mouthful, but basically, if you have environments where there's a lot of people and you can reduce those levels of carbon dioxide, they're going to be able to think better. They're going to be able to process better. Better thinking leads to better work, leads to better productivity. Uh, and the best cognitive scores they found, Lawrence Berkeley Lab found, were occurring at the 600 parts per million of CO2 level. And what happens a lot of times in classrooms is you have 1,000 parts per million or occasionally 3,000 parts per million. So it's quite, uh, it's quite a departure from the old... Uh, let's just ventilate when its air gets stale. Now we're talking about really getting precise, increasing the ventilation, and doing it in a way that's cost-effective. 
By cost effective, we mean by you know not requiring a lot of ex energy expenditure or the, a lot of energy cost. And there's some studies that speak to that as well. I'd be curious also from those membership and athletic club organizations what their take is on indoor air quality as well. Because you you, you mentioned, for example, classroom, you basically got 800 to 1,100 square feet where you're packing in uh, you know 30 bodies. Certainly a club environment, you've got more open space, but you also have more exertion that's happening as well. You, you've certainly got the carbon dioxide that's happening. You've also got uh, basically because we sweat and our skin is one of the ma major contributors to dust, there's a lot more happening, I would assume, in a lot of the health club organizations. Wow, that's a phenomenal point. That's an excellent point. Yeah, you're sloughing off a lot more skin, which is, a, you know, that's the number one source of particulate matter, by the way, in the indoor environment. So you mentioned health clubs. That's fascinating because I, I would bet you that there's a lot of skin being sloughed off in there. Not only that, as you pointed out so nicely, there's a lot of heavy breathing going on. I mean, the good kind, right? And then there's, a, there's also a lot of uh, carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide's got to be off the charts in some of those environments. So ventilation in those spaces would be extremely important. Uh, just speaking on the uh, financial side of this a little bit, the one cognitive study done in seven U.S. cities across several climate zones found that doubling ventilation rates from 20 CFM to 40 CFM per person only costs 14 to $40 per year per person, but potentially improve productivity by, by up to $6,500 per year per person. Now that's a that, that's a study that was done to, to show a rather simple uh, look at, at how it's potentially possible to reach that kind of ROI. It may be a little bit optimistic, but it's, it's very indicative of the kind of ROI that can be achieved in a wellness center, in an exercise center. That's a phenomenal place to apply these principles because that would apply there morally, philosophically, ethically, in every way that's, you know, everything that's important in healthy environments would be epitomized there. So increasing ventilation, using systems like the energy recovery ventilators and heat recovery ventilators that allow you to have more fresh air without losing energy. Uh, and HRV functions by, uh, an ERV and HRV function by taking the stale indoor air, blowing it outside, but bringing in the outdoor air, but transferring the energy between the two air streams as they pass close together without touching each other, they pass through an aluminum energy exchange core and it transfers the heating or the cooling energy over to the incoming stream. So you're not losing all that energy and you're getting all that fresh air. So HRVs, ERVs can be very good. You can, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have fresh air with low, relatively low energy costs. Then you have all these other benefits that you so nicely alluded to in, in these environments. Excellent. And one of the resources that I was really impressed with was your Healthy Facilities Handbook. So anyone who's looking for great resources, healthyfacilitieshandbook.com. Uh, there's a ton of resources that are on there and you know much of it gets into the technical that you can look at into how you can support the procedures some of the things you can use to back up your items you know things that you could even help support your VOI in, in addition to ROI but definitely a lot of the processes what do you think are some of the action strategies of how a lot of the operational professionals can make the case for healthier facilities and support the need for expanding resources, training, and knowledge for their staff? Absolutely. Great question. Thank you for mentioning the Healthy Facility Handbook there. It's a, our school and college edition there, and we are working on other versions of that, uh, of that document. Uh, but definitely an area where uh, education 
really drives everything. So the more you learn by listening to the podcast, uh, the Dude Podcast, by reading the Dude Solutions website and looking at all the metrics and all the tremendous resources you make available there, go to our websites, healthyfacilitiesinstitute.com, the handbook, and, and check out those resources. But the more you learn, the more inspiring, uh, the more inspired you become. Because you can see that there's, it's really, it's, it's really a no-brainer. If you make these indoor environments healthier, just by the process of thinking in terms of removing stuff from the environment that shouldn't be there, you are automatically helping your facility. As soon as you can make your boss aware of that, that this doesn't cost, it pays big time, uh, it becomes a, a lot less uh, difficult to get pushed up the chain. So I think education is the key. I think Dude Solutions is providing a great channel and a great vehicle for this education, which I thank you for making this available to us. Thank you for mentioning our resources as well. And really, there's just a tremendous payoff to getting healthier. It doesn't cost. It truly does pay. It's, it's a sound investment. And as you had so nicely expressed, it's a, it's a value of investment concept that also produces a strong a financial return on investment, and most importantly, a strong return on investment from the physical, mental, emotional health perspective, which is probably the most important thing. But there is an ROI fiscally, financially from this. It all has to do with education, which you folks do such a good job with. And, in, and one of the quotes that I, or one of the graphs I'd seen was, for every dollar that was spent on training, you're essentially receiving back an average of just under $4. And a one to four ratio is something we've seen pretty consistently over time, whether it's dealing with preventive maintenance, whether it's dealing with insurance rates, whether it's dealing with uh, emergency breakdowns versus reactive. But, but some of the key things about the, that chart was reducing the operating expenses because people are operating more efficiently. Certainly there is an energy efficiency aspect that falls under those operating expenses. If people yes. understand the correct chemical ratios to use and they understand maybe, okay, well, can we use this chemical in more than one building? That's big and a huge thing I've been hearing is we build a new building, we have to maintain it differently than the buildings right. we have before. Right. Maybe there's ways that we can learn how to streamline that process. Any thoughts about some of those aspects with things like not just satisfaction and expenses, but efficiencies that, that you've seen along the way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we could do a three-hour podcast on, on just the things that you can do. I mean, you take custodial, 90% of that's labor. So if you, if you can work on training to improve the labor process so they're more efficient, in other words, they're not making trips back and forth to the supply closet, they're getting everything, they're loading on one cart, the processes are very specific and refined to where the, the, you know, the procedures, the things that they do are very specific and refined and um, purposeful. They can really uh, reduce the level of expenditure on custodial. For example, one study showed that $300 spent on training custodians uh, netted a typical school district about 2,500 per custodian in increased productivity. So investing in training your custodians, investing in training your facility, facilities people to, to apply these things uh, has a huge uh, impact on, on labor. Uh, a study by Liberty Mutual said that for every dollar spent on safety, an organization can expect anywhere from a $3 to $4 return for their $1 investment. I mean, you talk about no-brainer. It's absolutely a no-brainer to get educated on these things, to get some of these things started, and, and then to start you know, basically collecting the, all the benefits that come from that. So I think uh, I love the uh, points about how, you know, being much more preventative <clears throat> helps you, uh, you know, in these causes because, you know, if you eliminate or mitigate the problem, then it's, it might not be a problem at all or it's less that you have to deal with afterwards. Absolutely. 
And uh, Alan, I wanted to ask you one quick question about, sure. let's say I am you know, a facility manager and I, and I do kind of some of the simple things we talked about, you know, looking at air quality, you know, the mats, my cleaning, my, my vacuuming and such. Right. And so I kind of get that first bump, you know, but how do I, how do I kind of really sustain that? And how do I keep improving upon that um, for, for the quality of my facility? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I think that the key is kind of what Dude Solutions does as as its uh, sort of business model. And this is not an advertisement for you. It's just the truth. You collect data, you measure things, and, and you show before and afters. So if you're going to improve, if you're going to reduce the level of dust and you can reduce, if you can reduce the level of dust in coming into your building or go, coming up into the air through vacuuming and, and the like, or through better uh, dusting methods that remove rather than uh, redistribute dust. And, and you can show that you're reducing your dusting from five days a week to one day a week. That's a, there's a metric right there. <laughs> That's a metric. That's a powerful metric. And so, so what dude does, which is so great, is you're, you're gathering that kind of data. How do you show metrics to show we're, we're making improvements? How do you correlate healthier measures with healthier financial outcomes? And, and it can be done in, in ways as simple as we just described. Uh, but look at ways to document and measure, document, measure, document, document, document what you do, show outcomes, show that you're approaching it systematically, that this is a, a sort of a science, a, a, definitely a discipline. You come at it with knowledge and discipline and, and, and a procedure, uh, you, you have a far better chance of sustaining your healthy uh, healthy facilities program going forward. So it becomes not just a, a feel-good thing to do or a PR cosmetic thing, but it becomes something that's really part of the business model. And, and that's where it needs to be. And that's where you folks can really help as you, you know, as you gather metrics and share those with the community. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's definitely the key. It can even be as simple as if you do get an air quality measurement device you know, before you start the initiative, go ahead and see what your levels are as a baseline to see you know, where you're improving from. Yeah, and just to interject there, there's some yeah. passive devices that you can get and plug in uh, that you just you let them run and monitor the air, and they'll, they'll show a gradual curve. They'll show a curve showing where your air quality is. And if, if you can show over a period of weeks that it gets better using that par, uh, you know, stationary particle counter that uh, plugs in and runs all the time, wow, that's a powerful metric. And they've even got software where you can upload the, the data and, and graph it. So if you could show your air is getting better from the particulate, you know, even at the particulate level, not, not talking about gases here, but particles, you've got something to share and then you can start correlating it with other data. How does it, how does it correlate with this data? How does it correlate with the dusting frequencies? How does it correlate with the vacuum change that you've made? There's lots of ways to connect the dots, but the key is, to your point, the point we're making is, by all means, connect those dots. Um, if you're going to do something, take some measurements, get some data, so you have some before and after, so you can show a delta of change that's meaningful to the business. So I wanna thank DK and Alan coming on today to talk about how we have healthier facilities. Thank you. Um, we will put links out uh, in the show notes as usual with uh, information as well as a link to the Healthy Facilities Handbook to get you started. And as usual, if you have any questions uh, for, for Alan or DK, you know, feel free to send them to us. I want to thank you for joining us today. And until next time, this is the Operate Intelligently podcast. Thank you for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and you can even email us at dspodcast at dudesolutions.com.